right, so, um, so Deb and I, as you may have heard, uh, made a trip to Ukraine. And uh, so we, we're gonna, we just wanted to share some stories with you. And since this is such a, you know, kind of headlines type of story <laughs> situation, if we have some time, and I pray we do, um, we can just do some question and answer depending on, on how, if time permits. So, so Deb and I came back, what, a week and a half ago, something like that, babe? Um, and basically, the reason we went is because we, we started an, uh, an initiative to, uh, with some friends called the Ukraine Relief Network. And we started that literally on the sixth day of the war, I think, something like that. No, I think the third day of the war. By day six, and the reason that, that was that Deb and I used to uh, um, live, we lived in Russia, we lived in Ukraine, our youngest daughter was born in Ukraine, and we, we had hundreds of people, Christians, who were in Ukraine. And when the war started, all of us were horrified and started calling our friends, and all of our friends were in bomb shelters you know, being bombed, escaping. So, you know, I got some advice from some, some of you guys here that were close friends, and I was sort of just on impulse, on, I mean, on Holy Spirit impulse, I guess, started this um, Ukraine Relief Network, and the idea was to raise some money, send it to a couple, uh, so we d devised a way to do it quickly, right? So these people were running out of money, out of shelter, out of gas, you know, they were stuck in traffic, jams of two million people trying to leave the country, that kind of thing. Um, and we basically, by day six, we had money going towards Ukraine, and we're basically, we're dropping uh, money to people that we trust, and then they had all these micro, uh, micro loans being dropped in, in e-wallets of disciples, Christians, who were in a lot of danger. So that's how it started, and since then it evolved to some humanitarian stuff, just sending supplies to, to, uh, to the east of, of Ukraine, uh, feeding uh, refugees in certain places, and also partnering with other organizations. So Deb and I wanted to go and first of all, just show our face and support the church and say we're with you, like not only in spirit, but in, in body as well. And we wanted to do some strategic work and just tell some stories, that sort of thing. So uh, the, the, apparently traveling to Ukraine is not easy these days, right? So it was like airplanes and, Automobiles, literally airplanes, trains, and automobiles, quite literally, right? So we uh, went to Warsaw first. So you land there through Amsterdam. Amsterdam required like a like an updated COVID test, so we had to take like a booster test the morning of, which was not helpful, not not easy when you're like traveling with a booster shot. Uh, and then we landed in Warsaw, and the first thing we did in Warsaw was to hang out with Cody Barone, who is serving there. He's he's a marine there, and he's. He's, he's, he's bulked up, you see that, right? Uh, and we had this great time with Cody. We went to dinner and we bought him dinner and just, uh, just sent him our love, all of us, right? And he's a dude, he has this deep voice, a lot, a lot of muscle. I think he eats like six times a day or something. And, uh, and it, was so, it was so fun to, because you grew up in our teen ministry, right? It, it's so fun to see this Marine in front of us, uh, like enjoying adulting. Uh, yeah, he's like, man, things are cheap here. I'm getting paid. I'm, you know, I get to, I get to do all this stuff. You know, he's such a marine. It was so awesome. Anyway, um, then after that, that beautiful moment, we had to travel like five and a half hours to the border. Then we literally walked through the border. If you see that, so there's like this, like a half a mile to a mile walkway. So one passport control and the other one. So the Ukrainian, the Polish passport control 
is, and then you show your passports, then you walk. And we, we, we traveled with um, a woman who is a Christian, and she's in Poland, and her husband can't leave Ukraine, and she was basically asking us to take their kid through the border. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting, right? Um, and then this is us on the other side, um, and in the passport control, on the Ukrainian side, they, they go, Christian, uh, have an American passport, right? Yes, where were you born? Moscow. She goes, okay, you can go, you know? I was like, all right. Uh, so we arrived, so from there they, they pick us up, take us two hours to Lviv, this is the westmost city, and Lviv is a cultural center, this beautiful European city, mm -hmm. and you, you have all these beautiful places and the statues are wrapped against the bombs, and this one uh, picture of Neptune, it says, you will see the original after our victory on the poster, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool, you know? Um, and then, so we spent a lot of time with the church there with some volunteers, and we just strategized and all of that stuff, and it was amazing. And then on, um, they, they, had, they have a meal, so our, uh, our charity is literally paying for their rent, uh, for the, for they found this really cool um, space, for the church to meet and to feed the refugees. So we're sort of killing two, two birds with one stone, right? So we're paying the rent for the whole year and they're hosting and they're being an influence there. So we met with the team there just to see how we can make it better, all of that. And then we went to the meal where they were uh, meeting refugees. And the picture I'll show you, um, her name was, I keep forgetting. No, the first one. The, the woman that you saw, yeah. Elena. Elena, so Elena, I, I come in and Elena's eating and she's, you know, probably mid-50s or something like that. And I say, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? And she goes, I'm from Izum. And Izum literally that week was liberated by the Ukrainians. So I said, hey, are you happy that your city was, are you, are you gonna go back? And she goes, no, I have nothing to go back to. My building was bombed up. And then, so I was like, okay, I need to sit down and hear the story. And she basically, it was just amazing because she, she said, you know, we're, in the in the um, in the oh, basement okay. in the in the basement of the, of the of that building, with a bunch of people, kids, everything, and she could hear the bombs and like one one floor collapsing, then the next floor collapsing, then the next floor collapsing after different different bombs, and then said there was they were under their the basement under her apartment. She goes a rocket came into my apartment and like stuck in the floor to the basement and didn't explode. And then a bomb fell and it detonated the rocket and it detonated into the basement where she was with like dozens of people. I don't know how many people, there are probably dozens for sure. And she says everybody passed out and like clothes were literally torn from people by the wave. And they were, you know, some people died, some people didn't. And she said they had to dig their way out um, and pass the kids through the hole. So that was sort of my first conversation there, right? Uh, and and that's just that's the beginning of our of of our time there, right? Um, and then Deb waves me over, and she's talking to this woman, Elena, right? Olga, Olga the other one, Olga, yeah. So tell tell them about Olga. Okay, so Olga. Oh, you know what? And Should I tell them about Olga? Because you know I'm gonna cry. Yeah. Yeah. She okay. was like, please don't don't Olga make me tell my stories because I'm gonna cry. I'll say the names. Those are the kids. Do you want me to tell her? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. She's like, seriously, I'm, I can't do this anymore, right? <laughs> so, so she waves me over, and Olga and her two kids, two out of three, were there, and they were in Kherson for five months under occupation, under Russian occupation. 
And uh, they told us, the first thing that Deb showed them, because they were all, you know, pretty traumatized. So Deb's like, hey, our, we lived in, in Ukraine. Our daughter was born there, Bella, and she shows them uh, the graduation picture from Bella, and Bella had her cap decorated as the Ukrainian flag, the blue and gold. Mm -hmm. And she showed her the picture of Bella with the blue and gold, and she started crying. Um, and their kids sort of, oh, wow, that's cool. You know, they start talking. So they start sort of spilling the beans a bit more. And basically they tell us they saw all kinds of terrible things. I'm not going to retell everything, looting, killing, all of that. Uh, but what was really shocking was that she said she was there for five months, and it was hard to go from occupied territory to Ukraine because it's dangerous. So they literally have to pay like coyote types people that know the back roads and, and it's very, very dangerous, right? Um, so they did it three, on the third attempt only could she cross the Ukraine. The, the first two, the Russians sort of caught them and turned them around and, and didn't let them through. I mean, imagine the effort, right? And the risk of the kids and everything. But the reason she left was because she said the, the Russian forces, they instilled the Russian curriculum in the schools, and, and she came only, she had just moved there because it was like early September. Uh, she, she took them out on September 3rd, school starts September 1st, and the reason she did it ultimately was because uh, a bunch of kids got kidnapped and literally deported, like taken to filtration camps, camps in Russia. Like kidnapped, literally kidnapped. But we're like, what do you mean? Do you mean, no, no, they, go, they went to school and they didn't come back and the parents are losing their minds. And it's in mass. So it's like, it's hard to even, you know, it's hard to wrap your brain around that and, and uh, that kind of thing. So I will say here that I'm very grateful for the training that we've received here from the Austin Disaster Relief Network. In particular for me, the SISM training, the Crisis Intervention Stress Management training, because it helped me in the moment to be able to process and to have some of these conversations. We knew that we'd be meeting with refugees and we knew that we'd be meeting from people who had escaped occupied territory. Um, we've heard a little bit about the war crimes in the news and we're not gonna go into much detail beyond those little bits that we shared there. Um, if you have more questions, you can ask us afterwards. But I feel like we were equipped for that. Like the last scripture that Christian shared about how God has prepared works in advance for us to do. I think he both prepares us, equips us, and then calls us to do them. So we were really grateful for the opportunity to go. Another thing that we did there in Lviv before we moved on is we were able to talk to them about what are things, what are services that you can provide for the refugees without having to be an expert in all these areas yourself. So how they could use the center um, as a place, it's literally right in the center of town, so that people could come in and they could direct them to all the different services that are available within Lviv. They don't personally have to provide all of those services. So again, those are um, some of that's just great training that we've learned either through Red Cross Disaster Relief or ADRN. So if you have a chance to do any of that, I'd highly recommend it. Seriously, uh, and she got through the training, through that specific training, SISM, and I didn't. And I, I, and I asked ask her, what is it that you're doing here? Because what is this Yoda thing that you do with people? Like Deb would just have these moments of connection that were like, in, I was in awe, I was like, so grateful to have her with me. Like this one woman, she said, she did this sort of, she's connected with, through the picture of her daughter, and then at the end, she said, because these, all these, all these women, they had no, they have no plan. They have no plan. Like they, they have a they have a cot in like a gym on a high school in a high school somewhere. 
they have maybe soup kitchens across town that they get to find out. And there's zero certainty. There's zero plan. There's zero anything. Like they, they don't know what tomorrow is going to be, period. They just don't know. They don't even know how long the bed is available to them. That, that's, that's what they were saying to them. So there's only, there's only so much you can do for them because there's such you know, despair. Um, and Deb just, she, she said, hey, here's a bracelet. Here's my bracelet so that you know someone's praying for you every day. Like I had no, like I don't, can't do that. Only she can do that, you know? I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Um, I can't do that, but I don't have the heart to do it. I don't have your compassion. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You just like your bracelets too much. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I paid for this. Uh, no. Um, so uh, w one of the things uh, in Lviv was amazing is that th there's this European, it's surreal, right? There's a European city with gorgeous statues. All of them, sort of, they're wrapped and everything. And there's war and there's beauty at the same time. The cafes are open. The restaurants are open. Uh, we go to this hotel. We check in for one night because then we're moving to Kiev. And the concierge says, uh, here's your room key. And, and in the event of an air raid, uh, the bomb shelter is to the left from, from the elevator, like in the same tone that <laughs> they would welcome guests. And then sure enough, we go to the center. We find the Ukrainian food restaurant. We sit down to order. And the air raid sirens go off, like across the city, right? So we sit there. And I turned to our hosts, uh, who were the heads of the church. And also, they run the, the Ukrainian Relief Network there. And I said, so what do we do? And they said, well. Uh, nothing. And I go, what do you mean? There's a siren. And they go, well, you know, the sirens go because they detect a cruise missile launch from the east, for example. And if it's if the trajectory, the city that we're in, the trajectory, we're in the trajectory of the missile, will get a siren. But no one knows where it's going to land, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going, okay, that's not enough, I guess, <laughs> to, calm, to, pe to give me peace in my heart. Is there a way to know that, OK, it's approaching your city? And they go, no. And they just look at me. And I go, all right, let's order some borscht. And, you know, and, and I guess it is what it is. Like, when in Rome, they basically don't respond to air sirens anymore, basically, because you know, it's been going on for six months, and it's two or three a day. And Especially in Lviv. Lviv's, Lviv is much farther away, so they can they have a pretty good idea of how far those that type of missile will go. But the way that we have the signs everywhere here that tell us how to wash our hands, in case we haven't figured that out yet, um, there they have signs everywhere for your safety um, with the QR code for the Air Raid app. And that will tell you which corridor they're coming through. So you can follow. Yeah. It's just a, a shift. Still not enough information, seriously. Like, no one does anything. So we just had a great Ukrainian meal. Well saying a silent prayer. <laughs> I will say that I never once, through our whole trip, never felt unsafe. Yeah. I never felt unsafe. And I think, honestly, that was because of the prayers of, of you guys, seriously. Because um, it was so emotionally and physically demanding, but somehow we didn't feel spent. I mean, I seriously think it's a supernatural. Like, I felt the prayers. It's amazing. Um, so when we arrive in Ukraine, in Kiev, so we take a train, an overnight train, uh, Yuri Kaftanyuk, you see that in, within his Ukraine Relief Network van. I was so proud. I was like, oh my gosh, take a picture. Uh, he's, uh, Yuri and Lena are heading up um, Ukraine Relief Network in Kiev, and they have obviously a, a local board of directors and everything, but these guys we trust and love. We've actually trained them in the ministry, appointed them years ago, um, and they're amazing friends, and they're uh, both of them are painters, so it's a family. And uh, Yuri's dad, he, he's a prominent, like a national hero. 
so there's there's a church there that you saw probably a slide in the beginning, the blue church. It's from the 1100s. Think about that. Wrap your mind around that, right? The, it's from the 1100s. And uh, Yuri and his dad decorated the inside of that church. Like, wow, right? Not in the 1100s, but when they, yes. when they renovated That would be a different story. That would be, exactly. be a tram tra time traveler story. Uh, so they, they're amazing people. I pray for them. They're amazing, amazing hearts. So generous. And we hope to see them in Austin sometime. You know, he can't even leave the country. Uh, so, you know. Um, but um, so I'll tell you a few projects that we visited. And these are all projects we're partnering with there locally. One is a uh, women's shelter. Uh, and um, it's... Um, originally, the shelter is for women who suffered from domestic violence, and then they sort of repurposed it for women who are, you know, fleeing the war. Um, and they, what they do is they, they house them. Some of the, sometimes it's the woman or the kid, and or two kids, and they're just. That's probably the most traumatic one because we spent hours just over tea, and they were showing us pictures. And this was in Bucha. Bucha is, if you heard about Bucha, is the place where the Russians occupied for a few days before they were kicked out, but they managed to kill, rape, torture, destroy, like it was just horrible. So we heard these eyewitness stories that you could not, like, it's almost, it, you're, you're, you're hearing the person tell it to us, and unless you were hearing it from a person, you can't fathom it, basically. It's that level of cruelty and just, Evil, yeah, evil. It's pure evil. That's how it feels like, right? Uh, and these women, they make. So part of their therapy is they create something for society and they sell it. So they create these beautiful shirts with embroidery called vishavanka. Vishavanka is like a traditional Ukrainian dress, and they have this little studio in the back that they work in. You wanted to add something? No, that was it. The studio. Yeah. Um, so the next project we did, we visited, was the art therapy for kids, and that's probably my favorite one. Uh, because these kids, you could see, you know, their dad, they're either refugees or their dad's at war, a, a serviceman at war, and they don't know if they're going to come back because the, the casualties are pretty intense, you know? Uh, and uh, these kids, they were like Lena and Yura because they're painters. That's sort of their pet project because they're painters, right? They're teaching them how to paint. And they say, okay, we interviewed a couple of kids and, and, and they were. They said, okay, well, let's interview this one and this one. This one won't talk about it. This one's too traumatized to even express it, you know? And you go, oh my gosh, these are children, right? Um, and they draw beautiful things. And we actually brought a few, a few of their uh, pictures. They're really, really good pictures. And we're probably gonna, Chris and Gantz are gonna help us auction some of them for the, for the, for the charity and everything. But uh, we feel like that's a really amazing, an amazing director. Uh, direction is art because to see them sort of pouring their grief into the art, into color and shape, uh, was actually really powerful. I didn't expect it to be that powerful for me. You want to add anything to it? No, you didn't share. Okay. Did I, am I oversharing? No, you're doing great. Okay. So, okay, so we interviewed a couple of them. Uh, we, pr we produced a show. Uh, so then we spent a whole day uh, traveling through, there's several neighborhoods, Bucha, Irpin, um, there's a couple others, Baradyanka, Augusta Mel, uh, that were bombed. So, and they had land, 
they, they still have landmines that haven't been picked up, so you, it's really weird because you drive and you see these red notices, landmines, landmines. <laughs> so we're like, you know, I'm not gonna pull over and take a pee, you know, I'm not gonna do that here, you know. Um, but some, there's whole areas where they haven't even cleared the landmines yet. And we're driving past them, right? It's just weird. Uh, there's all these blog posts, um, these checkpoints in the city. So it's a beautiful city, and the city that wasn't occupied is still intact, only it has trenches or anti-tank structures. And they have these, you know, checkpoints with like pieces of, like these massive pieces of concrete. You know how you probably see it in movies about Iraq when the, dry, the cars need to go like this to slow down. And then at the end, you have two like big bunkers, essentially, with sandbags and holes for machine guns and people with machine guns, and they wave you through. And if it's at night, you have to you know, turn on the lights inside, put down your phones. You can't shoot anything, so I don't have pictures of that. And they wave you through, or you check the, they check your documents. So it's sort of the first few, or so you, you have this en nervous energy because you go, what if they're jumpy, right? They have these machine guns, you know? Uh, but then after like literally two days, because we did like three or four of those a day, you sort of relax and sort of, you, it's amazing how you can normalize things that are not normal, you know? Um, um, but then we visited those places with, um, and the next picture is a bomb up shell. Uh, so these are all so that civilian. was, if we go on to the next one, because we can go through some uh, of these quicker, that was all one complex, building. and it's the middle of it that's gone now. So yeah. the woman that we're talking to on the side of the road is telling us about her family, that father-in-law who lived up there on the fifth floor. Yeah, and um, so there's tanks, and, uh, tanks and machines, sort of all kinds of shot up Russian stuff on the side of the road, all over the place. Um, and th it's massive. And it's massive. We thought it would be like, okay, a few there, a few there. No, hundreds. And you can tell that it's indiscriminate, yeah. completely indiscriminate bombing and shelling. Yeah, these are residential areas, and they're nice parts of town. So in the city, it's kind of like um, New York, where it's all apartments everywhere, but then you get out into the suburbs, and they have houses, houses that they've built. Um, they don't have the same credit system that we do, so typically, as you're building your house, it's everything that you've earned you put into building that part of it, and then as you earn more, you build the next part of it. So your life savings is in your home, and these areas, like Bucha, Irpin, Izum's a bit farther, it would be here in Austin comparable to like Georgetown or Leander, Liberty yeah. Hill, nice new really upcoming nice, areas. Yeah. And they're mm -hmm. just destroyed. Uh, they have this several cemeteries for cars, civilian cars. And what I love about this picture is that these are all civilian cars that were bombed or shipped or shot up. These are no, these are all every in every single car there were people. Most of them died. So they put them this in this cemetery, and artists came and drew um, sunflowers on them. And there's such a striking image imagery, right? Um, so to give you an idea of it's just an individual went and visited this this woman, Natasha, and uh, the picture you see is her house. It's completely destroyed. It's in a village in Baradyanka, and uh, the and what they say is that tanks would just go through and just randomly shoot up houses, just shoot up. And it's, they picked the nicest houses too just because, right? And this woman, she's living, that's her house, 
And we came because we brought us a piece of furniture, uh, some supplies, some uh, uh, drugs, some uh, rugs. rugs. It's going to get cold, so they're living now in like a yeah. storage unit that they've sort of con Yeah, I'll show you in a second. But then what we, it was, it was amazing because we're like, we knew who we were visiting, and it was this, this house, and she had a little table and apples that she washed for us. And we were like in tears before we even met her. Because yeah. how can you, you know, that she's lost everything. And she's, she has these apples, that's all she can offer from her she garden. She went and picked them and yeah. washed them. And uh, so that's, so I'll show you the little wagon that we had for her. That's her, you know, that's Yuri and Lena and her um, and the wagon. That's, she lives with her grandson. grandson. That's all she, they have. No shower, no bathroom. The winter's coming. That's it. He's doing his homework on the bed when we met him and talked to him. Um, but that's sort of the situation. And it's hundreds, thousands of people like that, right? So then we're outside and somebody comes over, her neighbor. What's her name? Irina. Irina. So I'll tell the story because you'll cry. Sure. I was just going to say about um, the kids. So like he's doing his school at home online. They still have internet access and everything. A lot of the kids are doing school online. Similar to the Thanks things to that Elon we Musk. were. <laughs> similar to things that we were going through in the pandemic. You know, do you go in person or not? But in Kiev, you can only go to school if your school has a bomb shelter in it. So if there's no bomb shelter, then you study at home. So then Irina comes over. So we're talking to Natasha and just fellowshipping, essentially. We delivered all the stuff, and uh, Irina comes over. She's her neighbor, and same thing, bombed up house. Some Half of the family is living with relatives. She's staying in somebody else's basement with, um, with a, a grandson who is um, crippled or something. Uh, he's yeah, her, her grandson is handicapped, handicapped and her yeah. son stayed home to take care of him. The daughter-in-law is serving in the army. One of them had to serve. So, so she's, she, she, comes, serve. she comes over, and both of them start talking to us, and Irina basically says, I just went to a soup kitchen the other day, and they turned me away, and they just sort of cursed me and turned me away. And like, Some of those, you can the see food the despair. is only for the soldiers. Yeah, the despair of, like, they just have no... The government does not have the ability to solve these people's problems. They just don't. So these people are, and she showed us this video, Irina, the, the one in the red coat, and she's, she says, I'm a soloist in my choir. And she so, shows this video of this folk group, and it's super spunky, and it's about Ukraine, and she's on stage singing, and it's amazing. And she's now lost everything, right? And, uh, and she, she was turned away from the soup kitchen, so I'm like, we like, took everything, every ca all the cash we had in our pockets and gave it to them, like, can you buy some food with this? And of course, they're very moved, and she sort of starts shaking, and she goes, I'm shaking, and I have no tears left. Like, I can't cry. So Deb basically says, I will cry for you. <laughs> so, you know. Uh, so you see, you made me cry, I'm telling you a story. That's why I wanted you to tell those stories. All right, so, so okay, moving so on. Moving on. Um, another kind of fun thing that Christian got to do, a, a dear friend for many years here, Matvey Gonopolsky, has um, a TV show, a radio show. He's very well known, and he invited Christian to be on. It's like a commentary show, talk show style, and it's um, by Naimir, which is War and Peace. And they just talked through the present situation, 
as well as some um, commentary on stances that other um, popular figures, maybe artists or politicians are taking and what's, what are his thoughts on that. So they banter back and forth, but honestly, um, it's the kind of thing where if you're a public figure and you speak out against the war, and this was broadcast in Russian and has since been passed on, um, you do that at great personal risk as well. So he's received some messages, um, well, he just turns away. Um, for people who feel strongly that you shouldn't be doing that. But one of the things I really admire about you is that you'll take a stand for what you believe in, even if it's not popular, even with your family members. So he took that stand and, yeah. and did great on the show. Yeah, I was talking, it's, this is so bizarre, um, but uh, on, my, on my way to you, we were from, traveling from Warsaw to the border, and we actually have a friend who is in the Russian parliament like he voted for the war, he's sanctioned, and he's a friend of mine at the same time, and he's a Christian. Like it's, like reconcile that in your brain, right? And so I'm talking to him and, and he goes, you're going to Ukraine, yeah, but he, he supports compassion, he just has a political bias that's weird, right? And he goes, so I know you're going to Ukraine. I said, yeah. I said, he goes, just be careful. And I said, what do you mean? I'm not going to Russia where people will hate me for what I'm doing. I'm going to Ukraine. He goes, just be careful. I go, okay. That didn't help me, but all right. And uh, so anyway, so there is some of that strange risk, I guess, involved that uh, God protected us from. Love up on your brothers and sisters in this room too from around the world because most of them are hearing it from both ends. And yes. it's difficult yes. to navigate. It really is, yeah. This is Kiev. Moving on to the next one. Um, we got to share with the church in Kiev, which was really special for us because uh, we have so many friends there from when we were there before. And we've been back a couple of times, but the last time that we were there leading the church was when Bella was just born. So that's 18 years ago. It was great to see a lot of these people again. And it's the largest service that they've had since COVID because they, they meet in different regions and a lot still by house churches, but many of them came that day to hear uh, Christian preach. And he did such a great job. The lens that he framed it within, um, through the Gospel of John. I shared it definitely on my Facebook, maybe on the tribe page as well. He shared a similar sermon in Budapest the following Sunday, but if you're curious, I would recommend listening to that one as well. That one in Budapest he does in English, so you'll understand it. The other one you probably won't in <laughs> Russian. So uh, after service, of course, we got hugs and tears and joy and all these people coming up. And these two girls came. Uh, um, came over and they were adopted by Christians, by disciples. And they, they were both in Bucha in, for days and days and days under occupation. And it was just, it was so, it was just these two girls, she's prob they're probably what, 12 and nine or something like that, you know? And she was telling, the girls were telling me what they saw and they said, well, these soldiers, the first wave of soldiers, they were good, they gave us some of their candy, you know, and we were, they kept them in basements, right? They couldn't get out. And then the second one, and then the third one, they were bad, and she said, I went to get water, and in a bucket, out of, they let us to get water, and I was bringing the water back to the basement, and um, 
there was this woman berating, like just an older woman berating the soldiers. Why did you, why are you hearing Why are you doing here? You know, blah, blah, blah. And she literally turns around and walks away and the soldier shoots her in the back. And this kid witnessed it, right? So it's just stories like that that just get you, right? Uh, but the spirit is so, you know, it's, it's remarkable, right? The spirit of this, the Christians and even the children uh, th that is still a strong spirit of joy and hope, you know? Um, so this, this other, um, the third place we went to, it's called um, Next Step Ukraine. And it's basically a rehab center for soldiers that were wounded. And the first place got completely destroyed by a bomb. So the, the Ukraine Relief Network, we provided, I think, almost half of the, of the machines they have there for the soldiers. And it's just by networking and spending some money, but also finding some things. And we were like unloaded a machine as we, we went there. And we took some interviews. And, um, and even the guy who was shooting all of this for us, we're doing a video about it. Uh, I know him from, pa from the past. We've worked together before. And this is a world-class videographer, like world-class. Music videos, commercials, like top level. And he himself lives in Irpin. So he himself was living in one of the rooms because most of his house was destroyed. Like the windows are destroyed. Some of the roof was destroyed. And he lives in one room. His wife is in Germany with his kids. His wife, he describes, he goes, you know, during the bombing, uh, he, she, they were in the basement. She comes out. They would come out to get some food for the kids or get something, right? So he says, there's a kitchen. She's doing something. There's a wall here, and this, this is all glass. And she goes, a shell landed in the backyard. And if she was just two steps behind or the kids were there, she would have been killed because of all the glass and the shrapnel coming in. So this little wall protected her. That's how it was for her. So this guy who's shooting the video, he's living in, in this destroyed house. His wife is in another country, and he's shooting this, these interviews. And the next step is an amazing th organization. It's American-Russian, and, um, and they just rehab these, kids, these soldiers, and they, have, they need to build many, many, many more of these. So we, we're hoping to help mm -hmm. like raise funds and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So on to the next one, you'll see. So these are our friends who we stayed with out um, in one of the suburbs of Kiev. And similar to how we have the Nextdoor apps here and groups for your neighborhood, um, I just think it's amazing the way that God has been able to work through this is there are people out there, and you can see some of the homes behind them that are safe. Our friends were very grateful that when they returned home, um, their homes were still there. But they've been able to, both with the art therapy, which you saw the kids and the big long table where they're doing all the artwork, is in their home. And with the revived soldiers, they post on their groups of what they're collecting, what the needs are um, for the soldiers, what the needs are for the suburbs that they're visiting, like Bucha and Irpin, and also equipment that they need. And their neighbors have collectively raised and given thousands, thousands of dollars, um, both in equipment and in supplies. Just their gratitude for still having everything they have. They just want to give back and help those around them. And these are, um, our friends are Christians, but most of the people there are not. But God is moving so much in their hearts. And to me, it's just such a testimony of how they can share the gospel, even in this time, because their friends will ask, what are you doing this for? How are you, how did you find these people? And so they share not just about the programs, but they're sharing about Jesus and why they're doing it. And it's been an amazing opportunity for them to share and to be 
a light. So we so after like it's sitting morning till night we would like go right so we're super super tired and we had like half a day gone and we're like can we like walk around the city we love the city so we walk around the city the last day we went it's really weird right you you're in war and you you still can find sushi right go figure so it's a great sushi restaurant there <laughs> I don't know how it works but uh, but I want to show you there's there's this rainbow um, bridge. And it was originally built by the Russians about the friendship between Ukraine and Russia. So the Ukrainians painted a fracture on it. Uh, it's pretty, pretty intense stuff. So the last day we were there, half a day, we had half a day to walk around. So we went to the, uh, our beloved sort of place. It's called um, at the Independence Square where they had the big re orange revolution years ago. It's pretty intense if you want to look it up. But in the lawn, on the lawn, they have all these flags um, for the dead. And they have a, a little sort of glass container, and in it, you can pull it out, and there's journals for people to write their stories. And literally, the two days before, maybe the day before even, we found out that um, a brother who was actually baptized, one guy who was baptized in Deb and I's ministry in Russia many, many years ago. And eventually he left God and came back and moved to Kiev and got restored and with a relationship with the church. And then a month later he was drafted and then a month later he was killed on the front. So we wrote. <laughs> She wrote his story a little bit, you know. And you can see all the, you know, the anti-tank stuff there as well. So it's just strange, um, strange place. Um, there's an old church, and in front of it, there's, there used, I mean, there is still a statue of the Apostle Andrew, who according to tradition, was the one who preached to the Slavs. Um, and then Queen Olga, who was the first ruler who became a Christian, and uh, in front of this church, and now it's all surrounded by these sandbags with a sign, world help us. So, yeah, that's it. So, so I just, we just wanted to share very specific stories and just to to pray for Ukraine, um, and uh, you know, we're, I'm so grateful. Uh, we were able to raise more money than I thought was possible by us, you know, we're just normal people, um, and help hundreds of people through this. Uh, so it feels like God is moving us to, you know, continue this work, and we just wanna grow it. And so if you can pray for that to grow, and, and especially for the brothers and sisters, um, that would be wonderful. Uh, I don't know how we're on time. We're done. Um, we're just done. <laughs> in our prayers, we're going to close out with a prayer and another song and a couple of announcements. But I do want to ask specifically for prayers for our brothers and sisters in the churches in Russia and the churches in Ukraine, because obviously this has become a very strained uh, fellowship between the two. And even in the last week or so, um, it's not as front page in our news here, but if you're curious and you go looking, you'll find more about the stories. And front page for us in the um, kingdom news, I would say, is that both churches have 
come out with public, rather public statements about um, where they are at as a, as a fellowship with the war. I think one good thing is that prior to this, uh, for many months in Russia, it's not been called a war. You weren't even allowed to say it was a war. It was just um, a special military operation. And the, the media is all controlled by the state. So they only hear what they're told unless they really go looking for other information. Um, so we're aware of that. And one of our prayers is that the veil will be lifted. And obviously there's so much more politically in every going on in every country that's involved in it. But what we're really praying for is peace in the hearts of the people there. Peace, obviously, that the war will come to an end, um, but for healing in their hearts and um, for peace in their hearts, because obviously it's a, they're very anxious. There's a lot of anxiety right now and a lot of healing and that God would protect them on both sides from bitterness and resentment and that eventually um, those relationships will be restored, but it's really hard right now. And many people have family members on both sides. So we're just gonna pray for them and peace for them. And uh, we'll close out here in a prayer, but transitioning just to a couple